I want you to turn to Ephesians 6 in your Bible. How many of you, you like, you, you have a Bible that you just love and you just carry it around with you? It's a good thing, you know, I mean, a lot of times we live in a world now where we just we use our phones a lot. And I, I, I look at the Bible on my phone every day. But at the same time, there's something about having a physical Bible. I read an article that said you can actually retain 60% more of what you read when it's in a physical book. Because you see it and you know where it's at on the page. And there's something that happens. And it's important, I think, that you, if you don't have that you get you a Bible that you can read because it, and, and hold on to physically and have a copy so that it's not on there with all your other apps that will distract you. Amen. That's good little, little pastoral advice this morning. Uh, it's good to have a good, a good hard copy Bible. But if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 uh, through 18. We're going to read this together, and then we'll just get into it. And if you didn't know, this is, this is where uh, the armor of God, God takes place. This is where you have that in the Scripture. So we're going to talk about that. We've been talking, I think this is probably the fourth week on spiritual warfare. So Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. So, you know, this is a, this is a familiar scripture. How many of y'all are familiar with this passage right here? You know this. Maybe some of you got it memorized. I don't know. And I'm, I'm reading through it this week, and I, and I think to myself, man, I've preached this, Lord, probably at least, I mean, 50 times, it feels like. But I felt like I wanted to go back to it, and there were some thoughts that were in my mind. So I want us to revisit this just for a moment, because it's, it's one thing to know that it's in the scriptures. It's another thing to know what it actually means. And it's another thing to actually be able to apply it to your life. And here's what we have to understand is by the time we get to the end of Ephesians, basically Paul has outlined what Christ has done for us and who we now are in Christ. And he's laid out the, the, the plain and simple fact that as soon as you chose to repent and follow Jesus, and as soon as you became a, a believer in Jesus Christ, that Jesus himself raised you from the dead by the power of the Spirit, and you were raised up with him, and you were made to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means that you are born again, you've got a new spirit, and the Scripture says you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You're no longer who you used to be. He's made you a new creation. And he says, not only that, but your sins have been forgiven to the degree that he's cast them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. You may be able to remember your sins, but God says, guess what? Those sins that you committed in the past, I've actually took them and put them outside of my remembrance. That's amazing to me. That means that when I stand before God, what he will not bring against me are my sins that are under the blood of Jesus. Amen? That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. 
But he goes on and he, and he, and he begins to reveal this. And, and, and here's what I personally believe is that when the gospel affects us, it not only changes how we view God, but it changes how we view ourselves. Before the gospel, I saw myself to be a certain person and I had braced an identity that God did not make me to be. And then when the gospel came into my life and I saw who Jesus now said that I was, I embraced a new identity in Christ and I began to understand that I had righteousness and I had truth available to me and that I was saved and that I could renew my mind according to the word of God. And all of a sudden I begin to put this armor on my life to take my new position in Christ. And as I'm doing this, here's what I personally believe. I believe that Satan, one of his greatest nightmares, I like to scare, you know, they have all the time trying to get people scared. I like to scare the devil. Somebody amen me on that this morning. Y'all just go ahead and get fired up with me. I like to scare the devil, okay? He likes to scare people, but we as a Christian church should never be afraid of the devil. At any point, he should be afraid of us. That's just, let me just lay that out before we get started. And one of the things that he fears more than anything is a Christian who has fully identified himself with Christ to the degree that he has all of the armor on at all times so that he knows. He, I, when you walk into a room, he may say, you know what? I know that's Brian Colville under that armor. I know it is, but on the outside, man, it looks just like Jesus. And I'm scared to death right now because I don't know what he's about to do. He may pull his sword. If I attack him, it's just going to hit his helmet. Why? Because he has stepped into his identity in Christ. Doesn't mean he's perfect. Doesn't mean that he does everything right. Doesn't mean that he knows all things. It means that he is fully established in what Christ has done for him and in who Christ says he is. And he's gotten established in that. He's gotten rooted in that, so he knows his identity. He may have even had a bad day yesterday where everything didn't go so well, but guess what? He had the ability to get up the next day and say, it ain't about what I've done or how many times I've failed or how many bad days I've had. It's about who Christ says I am. And I step in that and I stand in that, and Satan gets scared to death when you finally know who you are in this true identity. And here's the thing. You were destined to enforce a victory that has already been won. See, we're, again, we say this all the time. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And every battle and every resistance that you're facing in your life right now, it was already won 2,000 years ago on the cross. The victory has already been won. We just have to stand in that victory and learn to enforce that victory in our own lives. Now, here... The thing is, is that you're going to face resistance, but most of the resistance and most of the challenges that you receive from the enemy are just that. The resistance that you face in your life right now is because Satan is trying to keep you from embracing your full identity in Christ. He does not want you to step into that. So he's going to lie to you, he's going to throw circumstances at you, he's going to throw bad days at you and do all of these things. And this is why Paul begins to address and he says, finally, brethren... How do we deal with everything that, of who we are in Christ and how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to walk and how we're supposed to do all these things and who we are? He says, finally, lastly, he says, therefore, since you know all these things, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, right? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the strategy of the devil because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And in verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So he's talking, how many times does he say stand there? He says it at least four times, doesn't he? He's saying you need to stand 
in the evil day. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, some scholars say, well, that evil day is when the tribulation comes. Now, that's not what it's saying. This evil day, some of y'all this week, you may have had an evil day or two. Anybody amen me on this? Because there are days that come when your mind goes crazy, circumstances go crazy, somebody comes out and attacks you. I mean, anything can happen in a moment of time and everything can be going well and everything can be going well and then all of a sudden a day shows up and somebody loses their mind. Next thing you know, you're, you about lost yours. And it's an evil day. And he says, but here's the thing. When the evil day comes, one of the things, just like I said last week, you might as well expect it because these days are going to come. We're going to have bad days. But he's saying if you can take up the whole armor of God and learn to take up the whole armor of God, when the evil day comes, you will be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, that word withstand in the Greek is a Greek word. I looked it up and I thought, well, this is unreal. It's, it's, it's antihistamine. Anybody know what an antihistamine is? I know you nurses know what an antihistamine is. I love antihistamines because I got... To, I got terrible allergies, you know what I'm saying? And antihistamine is an allergy medicine. It's like Benadryl or Claritin. Those are antihistamines. But the idea is that you got all of these allergens that are trying to invade your body, so to speak, and they get up through your nostrils, you know what I'm talking about, and they get in your eyes. And a histamine tries to get into one of the receptors in your body, and once it gets plugged into these receptors in your body, your body responds in order to try to fight this off. But what it does while it's responding is it gets sick. Your nose starts to run, your eyes starts to itch, because it's trying to get these things out of these receptors, right? But the problem is, now, well, here's what happens. is an antihistamine... It's against those histamines. It's going to go in there and fight those histamines. It's going to stand against them. An antihistamine will go and get in those receptors and and, and drive the other histamines out and plug and block those receptors as if to say, you histamines can't stand here. This ain't your place. And what I'm saying is that on the evil day, Satan is using the circumstances and emotions and the trials of your life so that he can try to get a place in an area in your life where he's actually not allowed to be. And what you have to do is learn to withstand like an antihistamine and say, bro, this ain't your spot and I'm blocking you, I'm resisting you, I'm repelling you, I'm saying you do not have access to this part of my life. I don't care how bad everything's going. I don't care how bad everything looks on the outside of my life. I resist you and you ain't getting in this spot. Because what happens if he does get in that spot? Just like with allergies, you start to have a reaction. Amen? You start to have a reaction. And so you've got to learn to withstand in the evil day. And then it says, verse 14, having done all, stand therefore. He says, well, in the evil day, in in verse 13, and having done all to stand, essentially what he's saying is, after you have put everything into order, right, and you've enforced everything that you know to enforce in the evil day, here's what he's saying. If If you use all of your weaponry, if you use all of your equipment, and you do all you can to stand, in the end, you're going to be the one standing victorious. And guess what? The Bible says that the God of peace shall soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Now, you do all you can to stand, and in the end, if you do, you'll be the one left standing. Because it's, it's not that you're not going to go through battles. You are. But you've got to stand during those battles. So in verse 14, it says, Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, see, it says stand again. Like I said, the, the, there's four times it talks about stand. But Paul is actually writing about the garments and the clothing that he would see on a Roman soldier. 
And if you do any kind of historical study about a Roman soldier in that time, the boots that they wore, here's, here's one of the things that I read, was they were like cleats or spikes, okay? And so, so when they had them on, they were designed not just to stay still, but to grind in and to press forward, okay? So you're not just standing still, and here's what you're definitely not doing, is you're never backing up. Sometimes we are always in the Christian life taking ground, we are never to stand still, and we are most definitely never to back up. So much so, these, these, these shoes were made this way, that if they were getting defeated, historians say that if Roman soldiers were getting defeated, if they were, their shoes were so designed to not be able to run and to not be able to back up, that if they were getting defeated, they would take their shoes off so that they could run. Now, this is what sometimes we do in the Christian life, isn't it? We'll take our shoes off, we will cease to stand, and we will take our shoes off, and we will begin to run. And he's saying, you can't do that. Not only do you stand in the evil day, but you choose to press forward and you grind forward and you take more and more ground. Because we, look, when we talk about the armor of God, here's one thing I have, to, I have to tell you, is that we are not to just be on the defense all the time. We are made to be on the offensive. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That does not mean that Satan's attacking us with gates. It would be weird if somebody attacked you with a gate, wouldn't it? What it means is, is that Satan has territory that he has claimed in this world. And he's trying to set up gates as if to say, this is my possession. But you know what happens whenever a Christian goes into those gates and steps through those gates and says, no, it ain't your possession. I'm taking back what God purchased through the cross and through the blood of Jesus. This is our possession. And Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will not keep you out when you choose to go through in the name of Jesus. But every now and then we have some battles. So the first thing he says, he says, if you're going to be in this battle, the first thing that you've got to have on is the belt of truth. You've got to have your waist girded. I like that word girded. I gird myself every morning, amen? How many of y'all got girded this morning? Got up and girded ourselves, came to church. Just start using that in, in daily language, see how it works out. So he says, belt of truth. Now, the thing about the belt of truth was is that it would, it's, a, it's, a, it's a belt that would wrap around like multiple times. It's this, well, I got one belt here. It just wraps around once, you know, you put it in the second notch and you're done. They'd have, they got a belt and it would wrap around multiple times and it would hook into pretty much almost the majority of the articles of stuff that they have on so that the belt of truth would hook into the breastplate. It would hook in, uh, it, it would hook into to the sword, so you could hold not only your sword, but you could hold your dagger on one side. And so it's wrapped around multiple times, and all of these things, your righteousness is rooted in truth. The sword that you carry is rooted in truth. See, the belt was what held everything together, and truth in your life is what is going to hold everything together in your life. Now, here's, here's another problem. I was, I was just talking with my, with my brother Robert Goforth here the other day that even in our world today, I know it's crazy, I know it's unbelievable, but there are churches who actually preach and teach things that are absolutely contradictory to the truth of God's Word. I mean, I'm talking absolutely contradictory. It's not even, a, it's not even close. It's not even like up for debate. And they'll, and they'll have churches, and they'll, they'll, they'll have these things, and it'll be there. And the Bible actually teaches this, though. And, and Timothy was taught by Paul. He said, look, Timothy, you need to preach the Word and be instant in season and out of season because there's going to come a time in the last days when people will actually turn their ears away from the truth. And they will have itching ears wanting to hear 
what will allow them to do what feels good to them anytime they want to do it, and they will resist truth and push it out. And then they'll even begin to say, well, truth is relative. Truth is what it needs to be for whoever it needs to be, you know, and you can just decide for yourself. No. And, here's, and this is why truth is the first thing, because to the degree that you know the truth of God's Word, to the d- degree that you know the truth that God has for your life, you're going to experience freedom. But to the degree that you believe lies and you allow those lies to come into your life, you're going to experience bondage. And that's just the reality of it. And so he, he's, he's saying that, that, that truth is that essential, it is that important. Here's, here's what truth is defined as in my opinion. We know that truth is not just uh, facts or data, but truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ, right? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Truth is a person, but truth, in today's language, I would say it like this. Truth is God's opinion. He's the only one that can actually define for us what truth is. It's what God has said and it's what God has, has written about the matter. And Jesus is the truth. Now here's one of the things, you know, people say, well, you know, the Bible's a little bit weird and it's a little bit messed up and the people will say, well, I kind of believe in Jesus but I'm not sure I believe in the Bible. Well, let me tell you this. And, and, and I, and I want to say this. I don't believe in Jesus because I believe in the Bible. I believe in Jesus because I can go historically to facts that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to me, that you would actually have to be almost crazy to take a step and believe that Jesus was not who he said he was and that he was not raised from the dead. We have verifiable historical facts pointing to the fact that Jesus was on the earth, he lived, he died, and he was raised from the dead. And if he was raised from the dead, then guess what? He probably is who he said he was. Now, if I believe that, then I can say, okay, that gospel that they preached, that he was raised from the dead and he he ascended into heaven, well, then guess what? Now I call him not only my Savior, but he's my Lord. And if I believe he is who he says he is, then I should believe what he says. Would it not be weird to say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really believe what he says? That would be odd. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed a prayer and he said, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, let me say this to you. Old Testament, New Testament, a lot of times people have a very hard time understanding and interpreting the Bible, but that still does not negate the fact that it is truth. Okay? Just because you have a hard time interpreting it and understanding it does not negate the fact that it is truth and it remains to be truth. That means you need to learn how to interpret the Bible the way that Jesus interpreted the Bible. And he said that these scriptures were not just written for the sake of writing scripture. He said from the Old Testament to the New, everything that happened ultimately was pointing to me. And he said in the Old Testament, there were people that caught glimpses of God. But in the New Testament, I am the full revelation of God. I am the truth. Everything in the Old Testament that you read actually submits itself to me. That's why he would even say, he would quote the Old Testament and say, you've heard it written. What was he doing? He was quoting the Old Testament. And then he'd say, but I say unto you. He's saying, yeah, the Old Testament remains to be truth, but I can even trump the Old Testament. Isn't that crazy? He's saying the old, Old Testament, it points to me. I am the truth. And I am the one who, who decides what truth is. And he says, and if you want to find out truth, go to the Word. But let that Word always be pointing to me. Now, y- y'all ever seen this movie, uh, Inception? Anybody ever seen it, Inception? A couple people have seen it, yeah. So it's a weird movie. I've not seen it in a while, but uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's in it. He's always fun to watch. Um, but in this movie, I don't know why this came to my mind. Sometimes the Lord will give you an illustration or two, right? But in this movie, they 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 like they go they have a, they go into a dream world, 
And sometimes in that dream world, they go into another dream world. And it's crazy. So they're within a dream within a dream. But they all have this thing called a totem, okay? And it's like, and it's like this thing that you use to know if you're in a dream or you're actually awake and living in reality, okay? And so they would go into this dream, and he had this totem, Leonardo DiCaprio did. He had this totem where he would spin this top. And if that top kept spinning and it never stopped spinning, he knew, okay, I'm in a dream. This ain't real. But if it turned over, he knew, man, I'm awake, and this is reality. And here's what I'm telling you is there's going to be all kinds of things happen in your life. There are going to be fears. There's going to be doubts. There's going to be circumstances that come against you. But I have an objective outside of myself standard that I can go to to tell me my reality because there's going to be moments when it feels like the way I feel, the way my body is acting, the way everything is going, that this is reality. There are going to be times when it feels like I'm enslaved to sin and I can't stop that sin that I'm just in bondage to and it's not going to let it go. But guess what? I've got an objective outside of myself that I can go to that says through the body of Christ you have died to sin. It's an objective. Now my body and my mind is saying everything different. But, I, but that's just because I feel it doesn't mean it's the truth. That's what, that's what he was saying this morning about we look not at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are unseen and we ground ourselves in the truth so that no matter what's coming against us, the world around me, Satan, my neighbors don't get to tell me who I am. This word tells me who I am. Culture does not get to tell us what to believe. This word tells us what to believe. Amen? And you got to have that belt on, folks. Abe Lincoln. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Anybody want to do a history lesson? Anybody know when he signed it? What year? 1863. You got it. Praise God. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. And the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 was so that all slaves throughout the Union, right, throughout the whole nation would be emancipated. They would be set free. But this is what's crazy. He signed it in January of 1863, but it took until June of 1864, 18 months later, for that news to reach Texas. Now, here's what I want you to understand. is It's not just the truth that sets you free. See, the truth was these slaves were emancipated down in Texas, but they didn't know it yet. And that's good right there, Pastor. In the book of John, chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said it like this. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, this is a, this is a right, this is, he's saying if. This is a, a conditional statement. If you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, if you allow my word to, to, to get into your heart, to take root in your life, he said, and you continue in it, then you're my disciples indeed. That's a conditional statement for a disciple. A disciple continues in the Word. Secondly, he says, verse 8 to 32, and then he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But see, it's not just the truth that makes you free. It's the knowledge of the truth that makes you free. And this word know means to experience. And what happens was, as those slaves were down in Texas 18 months still in slavery, while all, all of a sudden Abe had, had, he had issued the Emancipation Proclamation, it had already been written down. It had already been done and signed and paid for, so to speak. But it took 18 months for the knowledge of that truth to get to them so they could be set free. And what I'm telling you is there are areas of bondage in your life right now and you are in bondage because you've not yet come to the knowledge of the truth in that area of your life 
And it, the only way that you're going to get free in that area of your life, and it could be, look, it can be all kinds of things. It can be addictions. It can be sins. It can be struggles. It can be habits. It can be in your relationships with marriage. It can be unforgiveness. It can be healing. It can be inner healing, physical healing. All these areas in your life where you're still in bondage, I'm telling you, the, the, the reason the bondage is there is because to some degree we're believing a lie that is exalting itself against the knowledge of the truth of God's Word. And we have to continue and abide in God's word so that we can get that truth that will set us free. We need a revelation that will give us the boldness to act upon it. And see, here's one of the reasons, the other reasons, John, John 8, 44, put that up there. This is why the truth is so important. Man, that's a big verse, covers the whole screen. Jesus talked to some religious dudes, some Pharisees who knew the Bible. See, that's the difference between knowing the scripture, but the scripture actually being a part of who you are. And he said, you know what, boys, you're of your father, the devil. That right there just turns everybody's idea over about how Jesus was real sweet all the time. You're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. What does, what, what does Satan not, not do? He does not stand in the truth. Now, if he's not standing in the truth, what he tries to do is grab a hold of me and pull me where he's at, where I won't stand in the truth any longer. And then it says, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. When Satan comes to you, you can know that it's him because it will be a lie planted in the thoughts of your mind. It will be a lie about God. It will be a lie about yourself, about who you are, and it will contradict God's word. And see, it could be about the goodness of God. And here's, here's the thing. The more lies that you agree with, the more access he has in your, in your life. Whatever lie you agree with that he brings... And that's why it's so important, what? To have that belt of truth on. I got to be in the truth. And I have to know the truth so that when a lie comes, I can say, no, that ain't, that ain't standing here. I got my belt on. I've got truth in my heart. And you got to identify that lie and replace it with truth. Now let's go to the second one. He says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. So the second one's the, the breastplate of righteousness. And here's the thing. We often think of righteousness as, as righteous acts. Right, as, as doing the right thing. And a lot of times, you, you preach righteousness sometimes and people, people get a little bit upset at you because if you, if you grow up in like a holiness tradition or whatever, they just believe that righteousness is right living. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I believe in holiness. And holiness has a lot to do with right living. It really does. That's why we don't, that's why we don't deal with sex outside of marriage. That's why we choose not to dealing drunkenness and lying and, and all these different things, right? It's why, you, it's why we literally even choose to dress modestly. It has to do with right living. But the righteousness that he's speaking of here is not right living or right doing. It's right standing with God. It's right standing with God. And, and so the issue with this is the reason that it's so important is because, is because you get to know that it's not something you do or something you earn, but it is a gift that is given to you. It's a gift that is placed upon you. And that's very important to understand. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.22, or 5.20, put 2 Corinthians verse up there. You got it. It says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, what? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, you need to understand this, is that Jesus, when he was on the cross, did he deserve punishment for sin? He did not, did he? Why? Because he'd never sinned. 
But on the cross, God God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So on the cross, Jesus became sin so that in our faith there was a transfer that happened. And even though we didn't deserve righteousness because we were sinners, Jesus took our sin and gave us His righteousness. It was a gift that was imputed to us. It was given to us apart from our ability to earn it. And what happens is people say, well, you can't be preaching that because then people say, well, I'm righteous and just go live however they want to. Now, if they truly believe in Jesus, something has happened on the inside of them and they cannot live any longer how they want to. There's a new spirit on the inside of them. But the problem is, is we're still just human beings and on occasion we make mistakes. Anybody in here made a mistake recently? And when you make that mistake, what happens If you're a Christian, man, there's about 30 million alerts that go off in your head that say you ought to be ashamed of yourself, God's mad at you, and and all this, anybody, you've you've had that, right? And you feel so dirty that whenever you come into the church house, you want to worship, but you remember what you said this past week. Man, I remember what I said, I'd like to go back to church house, but man, if they knew how I acted, and the Lord does know, He sees everything that's going on. I can't go into worship this morning. I believe I'll just stay at the house. Anybody ever had something like that? Not that weird, but... Yeah, you've had that, those, those thoughts process in your mind. And I'm going to tell you something. Even me as a pastor, sometimes every now and then, you know, I feel like the devil try to get me and Andre to have a little spat right before I get up to preach. Because then, then I get up here and I'll be pull, open my Bible up or something, and they're like, the devil say, yeah, how you going to preach? How you going to bring this forward? You acting like, yeah. But what you have to do over and over again is you have to remind yourself, look, what I'm doing for God is not based on my own merit. It is based on the fact that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's a gift that has been given to me, and what it does is it covers my heart. It covers, it's a breastplate that covers me when I know that righteousness is a gift that has been given to me. See, in the Garden of Eden, man sinned, and when they sinned, what did they do? They realized immediately that they were naked, they were exposed. So what did they do? They did exactly what I just said we do. They hid themselves from the presence of God. Now, did God want them to hide themselves from the presence of God? No, he came looking for them. He said, where are you? Where are you at? Why are you hiding yourself? They said, well, we sinned and we were ashamed. We realized that we were naked. And what did they do? They had covered themselves with fig leaves. And man has spent the majority of his life trying to cover himself so that he doesn't feel bad and so that he can justify his own sin and try to cover himself. And when Jesus came came along in the New Testament, there was one thing that Jesus cursed. Y'all know what it was? It was a fig tree. And he said, nobody's going to eat the fruit of that tree anymore. What he's saying is, he wasn't saying, you boys ain't eating figs no more. What he was saying was, Y'all been trying to cover up yourselves from your sin your whole life. And he said, you've been living in self-righteousness trying to cover yourselves. And what I'm telling you is you don't eat from that fruit anymore because I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness. And no matter what happens around you, you know that you can come before God boldly. You can come boldly to the throne of grace even when you've had a bad day. Why? Because Jesus has paid the ultimate price of his blood so that even when I have weaknesses and even when I fall short, I can still come boldly to the throne of grace and say, I'm not here on my own merits, but I'm washed in the blood and the Father's arms are always open wide. Man, that is good news. And one of the reasons that's the best news is because Satan's name literally means accuser. Y'all know that, right? Y'all know that by now. His name means accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren. That means that for you and for me, He's going to go around daily on a daily basis bringing up as many accusations against us as he can. This is why they don't deserve that. This is why they don't deserve that. Look at this sin they committed. Look at this evil they've done. 
Look at all this junk that's up in their life. And then when all, whenever all of that stuff gets pinned in our mind and is going throughout our minds, we begin to feel such guilt and condemnation that we distance ourselves from God. But here's what happens. is If I know that I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, I know that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, it begins to pull off all those accusations in my mind. And I say, I'm not here based on my own merit. I don't even preach the gospel based on my own merit. And it sets me free from the accuser. Let me give you one last verse. I like, I like Isaiah 54, 17. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. No weapon. But then it actually even describes the weapon. It says, In every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Now he's saying the weapon that comes against you is actually the tongue, the, the thing that's said against you. And then and it says why? It says because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. He's saying there are going to be accusations that come against you from Satan. And he's saying that those are weapons to bring you down, to make you not progress, to make you not move forward. For some of you right here in this place, you're not moving forward because Satan has made you feel so bad about who you are as a Christian that you cease to advance because you think you're not worthy. Because you think you can't go further. And I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus has made you worthy. And your righteousness is not your own. God has given it to you as a gift. It's your inheritance. And therefore, every tongue and accusation that comes against you, you condemn it and say, that's not who I am. I've been washed in the blood. I know we've all made mistakes. And look, when we sin, we should repent from it. But I thank God that when, whenever I do repent, I get to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It gives us boldness. It gives us boldness. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 28, 1, that, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know, people who, people who don't realize they're righteous, they get scared of devils. You have a devil in the room, somebody run out the door. They don't want to see it. But when you know you're righteous and you know who you are in Christ, you get fired up when a devil comes in. and say, I'm ready to, go. I'm ready to do war. Because I know who I am. He can say what he wants to about me, but I know what I've got on. And he knows what I got on. Let me tell you right now, a demon, when you walk into a room, you, you don't see them, you may not feel them, you may not, may not even know they're, they're there, but they know when you were there if you got the armor on. They know. I'm telling you they know. And you got to have that stuff on. Now, the next one is, is verse 15. He says, having your feet shod with the preparation of the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now, we talked about those shoes, right? Those shoes... That, that have spikes, they anchor us into what Jesus has done for us. i got to be anchored into what Jesus has done for me. i got to have those shoes. But see, again, I want to say this and make this clear. Having the armor on does not mean we're just on the defense all the time. We have got to be on the offensive. We can't just stay in church and say, well, you know, there's a bunch of lost people out there, there's a bunch of sick people and afflicted people and people dealing with poverty, and just stay here standing. We have to advance into new territory as Christians. And see, he's saying that when you, have this, when you have this armor on, you're actually moving forward when you have these shoes on. Joshua was sent to go into the promised land, wasn't he? Joshua was sent to go in the Old Testament into the promised land. And what did he have? He had a lot of battles in front of him. He had a lot of wars to fight. And the truth is, he's, it's a representation of the spiritual wars that we have to fight now. Now, obviously, we, as Christians, we ain't for blood and war and violence. That's clear. But it's a type of the fact that we are stepping into new ground. And God told Joshua, he said, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given to you. Now the problem is, a lot of us, the reason we don't have a lot is because our feet haven't tread there yet. There are things in your life 
You've just not even walked in some of these areas yet. My amen me on this, right? I'm telling you, you start to walk into some of these areas, and it's going to be yours because he said every place the sole of your foot shall tread, it's already been given to you. Problem is, you've not walked into it yet. So he's saying you've got to have your feet ready, and you've got to be understanding that, look, we're not just on the defensive, but we're on the offensive. You've been anointed with the Spirit of the living God to heal the sick, right? You've been anointed with the Spirit of God to preach liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. That same anointing that was on Jesus Christ is the same anointing that is upon you. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed us from the law of sin and death. We've got a new law operating. See, law, the law of sin and death is operating throughout the whole world right now. But here's the truth. When you, get, when you come into Christ, he puts a new badge of authority on you. And guess what? You're the new sheriff in town. You're the new sheriff in town. Y'all hear me? That means that the law of sin and death is subservient to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I have a greater authority no matter where I go. And that means that's why Jesus said, hey, whatever city you go into, when you go into it, preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of heaven has come near to them. That there's a new law. That there's a new sheriff in town. I like that. Amen. There's a new sheriff in town. He says... In Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. So you have to bring, you have to be a bringer of this good news in your life. You have to be a bringer of this good news in your life. And he actually ends up saying, he says, how will they hear if there's not a preacher? And how will they preach if they're not sent? And he's not just talking about preachers like me. He's saying that, listen, the body of Christ is all preachers. And he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The only way that some people are going to come into the faith that actually sets them free is if you speak to them about Jesus. That's, I hate to tell you that. I know you wish it would happen some other way. But the only way that people are actually going to have faith birthed in their heart is if they hear the word of Jesus Christ come out of your mouth and you minister the gospel to them. Otherwise, faith cannot be created in the human heart. It's an amazing thing. And you say, well, yeah, I've tried that before and it didn't work. I've, to, I've told you all so many stories about people that I've witnessed to that, that, I, that I've spoken to them about Jesus. Guess what? It didn't happen right away, but faith was like a seed, like a mustard seed that was growing up in their heart. And before long, maybe even sometimes six, seven years later, guess what? They got saved and they come back to me and they'll say, man, I remember that day you came and you shared that with me. So if you can speak, he said, Satan wants to try to convince you that you're not capable, that you don't know enough, that you should be afraid, you should not step out and share the good news of the gospel of peace with anyone. That Jesus has died for their sins, that not only that, he wants to bring wholeness into their life, he wants to bring healing into their spirit, into their soul, into their body. He wants to try to keep your mouth shut so that you'll take your shoes off and you won't bring salvation to anyone. And here's the thing, if we're not moving forward, oftentimes Satan is backing us up. Let's go to the next one. The next one's the shield of faith. The shield of faith was about four and a half feet tall. It's about two and a half feet wide, so you could kind of hold it right here, you know what I'm saying, and, and get behind that shield. It's a pretty good shield. And it was made with extra padding, and they would put leather on the outside of it sometimes and soak it so that if, if the enemy shot fiery darts, see, it says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Because the wicked one's constantly shooting fiery darts, isn't he? Thoughts, lies, circumstances, 
fears, doubts, all of these different things, situations, different things. He's shooting these at you, and they're fiery darts, but he says this shield, is, it, it, will, it will actually quench them because when the fiery darts hit, the, the leather that was on the outside would actually quench the fire that was on the dart for them. Now, when you... I, I read some... I'm giving a little bit of history lesson here today too, but I read uh, one time where cow, when cowboys and Indians, when they used to fight, the, the, it kind of seemed like an unfair fight because the cowboy would have like a rifle and guns and weapons and stuff. And, uh, and then what would happen is the, the Indians, would, they, would, they, would set, they would light their arrows on fire and shoot, shoot like the canvas that was on the carriage because they knew if they could get enough fires going around the cowboys, it would distract them long enough to where they could actually attack them because they knew this. They knew you couldn't fight a fire and fight them at the same time. Amen. Now, what Satan will try to do is he'll shoot fiery darts at you, and yes, he'll aim straight for your heart, but if he can't get your heart, he'll set fires all around you so that you'll have so many fires going on around you that you stop focusing on what's really going on, and you stop focusing on what's really important. And if you got your shield up and he won't hit you, he'll try to hit everything around you to start a fire in your life. And you spend so much time trying to put out fires, you forget why you've been placed on this earth to live for Jesus. And that's why you got to have the shield of faith, but you got to also recognize that, look, man, i got to stay focused. i got to stand in my position. I can't get so caught up in the fire that I lose my faith. Now, here's another issue that I have with spiritual warfare is there's, there's an issue in the body of Christ, maybe one of the dang, most dangerous issues from my perspective, and many people will disagree with me on this. Many pastors will disagree with me on this. But there is an idea and a view in, 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 in Christianity that God's sovereignty means that he is in control of all things. And that means that if you get sick, well, that sickness is from God. Now, I personally say that that is ridiculous. I don't have a better word for it. I'm sorry. But the reason, the reason that I have to say that is because here's what happens. If I believe that a sickness or something that happens that is evil is of God, you know what I'm going to do instantly? I'm going to lay my shield down because this thing's from God. Why should I resist what God is bringing into my life? But see, you have to begin to discern. And people all over the place, because they question whether or not things are God's will all the time or whether or not it's Satan's will, you've got to learn what comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. No evil is coming from my Father. The Bible says that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. If it looks like stealing, if it looks like death, if it looks like destruction, let's put a name on it, it's the devil. But Jesus has come that I might have life and life more abundantly. And I have a right according to Scripture that says, if anything looks like death, loss, and destruction in my life, it is not God. It is the enemy, and therefore I better keep my armor on. I can't lay it down just because somebody said, well, this might be God's will. How many times have that gotten people to lay down their sword, lay down their shield, and just embrace, well, this might be God's will? Man, resist that, that thing. Until the earth looks like heaven, I'm going to fight. And if I go down in a blazing fire of glory and everything looks terrible all around me, then I'm still going to go down believing that this thing ought to look like heaven. You hear what I'm saying? This is the war that we fight. And people have laid their shields down all over the place. Anything, anytime one dart hits somebody, just lay it down. Must be God's will. And, and look, it hurts when you get hit by, it hurts when you get hit. 
And that's the thing. People, that's the other thing is people get wounded. And we spend a lot of time trying to minister to the wounded whenever they don't even realize that they've already, they've, the, the healing's already come. You don't have to stay there wounded. I'm telling you, if you're wounded right now, and that's the reason you've laid down your armor, you need to receive healing this morning. Pick your armor back up. It's so important. See, faith is a simple thing. Faith, faith is it's this place in God where we take hold of what Jesus bought and paid for. What Jesus bought and paid for, I take hold of it. I say, this thing is mine now. It may not look like it around me, but I have a substance of things hoped for and evidence of things that are not yet seen. I don't see it yet, but that don't mean it ain't mine. Amen? If somebody said, you know, faith is like this. There was a guy that was going across the Grand Canyon, and he had a wheelbarrow, and he was going across this tightrope. He said, boys, y'all think I can go across this, this tightrope on that wheelbarrow? Everybody stepped back and said, yeah, man, we believe you can do it. We, we, you can do it. He said, you really believe I can get in this wheelbarrow and go across this tightrope? And everybody's like, yes, we believe you can do it. He said, all right, then get in this wheelbarrow. If you really believe it, why don't you just go ahead and get in the wheelbarrow? My point is you may believe it intellectually in your mind, but are you going to take a step of faith that puts you in the wheelbarrow that puts the truth to the test and says not only do I believe it in my mind, but I'm taking an action in the direction to say this is mine, I'm taking hold of it, and no matter what kind of lie Satan you bring against me, no matter what kind of circumstances come against my body or my mind or my family, we choose to believe in God's Word, and even though I don't see it with my eyes yet, I'm holding on to that which is unseen because God's word said it's truth and as long as I'm there I got a shield up son and there ain't no lie of the enemy no doubt no fear that can ultimately penetrate my heart it may be flying from every direction but when I'm rooted in God's word and my faith is anchored in God's word when everything else is going crazy around me I'm sitting back there unharmed and all of a sudden there's going to be a day when you know what those arrows lift and I can peek my head back up and say all right now I'm pulling my sword out Let's do a little business. You've been telling me a million lies. I'm about to tell you some truth. I'm about to cut. You've got to have that shield of faith. And here's the thing. You, a lot of us, we're not settled in faith. There's a lot of areas in our life, people have had experiences, and you're just not settled. And I'm, and I'm going to say this because a lot of people say, well, I've been Christian for years. I'm settled. no. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and this is going to be good for you, you're not settled yet. There are some things that you're just not truly convinced because when negative things happen to you, you put your shield down. You stop believing. You start questioning. You start doubting. You start fearing. And here's something. Let's start at a basic level, just like what I said a minute ago. God is good. I, you know what? I can be settled in that. I don't care what happens. I don't care if the world catches on fire and everything is burning down, I'm still going to declare God is good. And everything else is against his... I'm not going to receive an accusation against the character of God. I refuse. Because Satan spends the majority of his life making bad things happen to people, and when those bad things happen, he always accuses the character of God and says he's not really good. And that gets in your heart. And once that is in your heart, I'm telling you, you're dealing with one of the most dangerous weapons against your life that you've ever dealt with. Because when your view of God is skewed and you question whether or not God is good and whether or not he's in your favor and whether or not he, his desire for you is always good, man, Satan's got a wide open door. He can come and do all sorts of things to you. 
And that's one of the biggest things. You've got to settle that issue of faith that God is good no matter what happens. Let's move on. Verse 17, helmet of salvation. He says, in taking up the helmet of salvation. Here's the thing. Satan can't touch your spirit, but he gets access to your soul and to your body a lot of times through, through agreement and through permission. And when we talk about spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare at its root takes place where? Right here between the ears. This is where spiritual warfare is going on. Physical warfare is going out on the battlefields with weapons and bombs and all this, but spiritual warfare is taking place in our minds on a daily basis. And he is trying. See, this is why in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So what's he saying? He's saying that there are strongholds, thought patterns in your mind. There are arguments in your mind that are constantly going on. And these arguments get in your mind and they actually exalt themselves against the truth of God's Word. Y'all ever had any thought patterns that exalted themselves against the truth of God's Word? Yes. You have. And he's saying what we have to do if we want to learn spiritual warfare is we have to take those thoughts captive that are contrary to God's word, take them captive and say, you cannot stay there. I've got to put the helmet of salvation on my head and I've got to learn to think saved. Now salvation, when we talk about salvation, we think about dying and going to heaven, right? When, when you think about getting saved, that's what you think about, don't you? You think about dying and going to heaven. And that's great, man. I'm so glad that when we die, we get to go to heaven. That's a wonderful thing. But the word salvation or the word saved in the Greek language is a word called sozo, okay? And this word, it doesn't just mean that you get to go to heaven when you die, but it means you're saved, you're healed, you're delivered, you're protected, you're kept safe and sound, and you're made whole. Let me give you just a few verses. There's verses that say this, like, for example, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be sozoed, right? Now, we know that when we call upon the name of the Lord, we get saved. But then there's also these. The prayer of faith shall sozo the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. So salvation there is what? For a sick person, isn't it? And then it says, one place, the woman came up to Jesus. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be sozoed. Now, she wasn't talking about the dying and going to heaven. She wasn't saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be shot up to heaven. Now, she was saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, that salvation is going to work in my body, and I'm going to be healed from this issue of blood. And Jesus would respond to her, and he would say, your faith has made you so-so. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. And see, that's, that's what's so important, because what happens is, is you have the helmet of salvation on. Salvation is that root word there, that I'm thinking saved that I realize that what Jesus paid for me is not only for me to be saved from all of the enemy's tactics in this life, to be saved from, from, from all of the, thing, the destruction and the sin that he's brought in this world, but, but that ultimately I'm going to be completely saved and set free from all of it in heaven. So salvation is an ongoing experience, but I have to learn to think saved now. And it's not just about going to heaven. It's about being in a, in a state of mind. But here's the problem is that you have experiences and you have traditions, and you've even had Bible teachers who have taught you things that have made you take your helmet off. And you don't think saved at all. You think, well, I get to go to heaven when I die because I believe in Jesus, but as for right now, I'm going to live sick, depleted, fearful, worried, and pretty much in torment until we finally get to go to heaven. 
Somebody amen me this morning. I know I've been preaching for three hours, but this is good. We got, just, we got one more. We're about to wrap this up. See, today is the day of salvation. And everything that comes into my mind, every argument that tries to lodge itself in my mind, I have to ask myself, is this something that Jesus has actually already paid for? Because if it is, then I'm going to keep my helmet on. And I'm not going to allow that thought to take away what God has for me. Now, here's the last one. It's the offensive weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. To take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the Greek word that Paul used here is actually not like a long sword. It's like a little dagger. Like these... Uh, these, these Roman soldiers, they would have like an eight-inch dagger that had a hook on the end of it, and it was razor sharp on both ends so that in up-close quarters, when you stuck somebody, you pull that thing out. Oh, man, it was a mess. Yeah. Now, again, we don't do this to human beings, do we? Right. This is about spiritual warfare, just so y'all know. Okay. So he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the word for word here is interesting because it's not graphe in the Greek. Graphe means the book. And it's not logos because logos means the content of the book. But it's a word in the Greek called rhema. And that means the spoken Word of God. It's not just written and it's not just the Bible itself. It's not, hey, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Bible. It's not just the Bible. It's not take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word you see on the screen. It's not just that. That on the screen is not the sword of the Spirit. Let me tell you what the sword of the Spirit is. The sword of the Spirit is when I take this book and I'm in it every day and I'm putting it in my heart and I'm hiding it in my heart and I've got the Word of God in my heart and then all of a sudden I enter into battle. And when I'm in battle, there are lies and thoughts coming at my mind, going crazy, all sorts of things going on and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit takes the word that I have hidden in my heart and he says that right there is a now word and he breathes on it and he brings it to my mind and he says now speak that out of your mouth and when you speak that out of your mouth it's going to cut away all of the lies of the enemy and all of his lies are going to fall flat to the ground and you're going to have victory in this situation. See, but you got to have the word of God, you got to have the written word of God in your heart so that the spirit can draw the sword when he needs to. And how much of this word you have hidden in your heart is how sharp your sword is going to be when he needs to pull that thing out. Amen? I need that thing to be sharp. I can't afford to have that sucker dull. Man, people, you get out there in the woods, you got a dull knife, you just killed a deer, you're going to have a bad day on your hands. There's going to be blood and guts everywhere. I need something that's going to cut the devil quick and it's going to be precise and it's going to end him quick. Right? I need something sharp. I need a now word. That's what the rhema is. It's in that moment. You need a word for that moment that speaks. When, when the devil came against Jesus, he came against Jesus and he was tempting him. And I tell people all the time, do you think that the devil came to Jesus? Do you think that he came with horns and a pitchfork? Said, hey, I'm the devil. No, he did not. Why? Because that's not how he comes to you. He came to Jesus the same way that he comes to you. Otherwise, Jesus would not be tempted like we were tempted. But if he was tempted like we were tempted, then what happened is the devil came to him and all of a sudden there was a thought and there was an impression and there was an emotion tied to it and there was a feeling and he heard a voice in his mind, just a thought that said, if you really are the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And each time, how did Jesus respond? He did not respond by saying, well, this is how I'm feeling or this is how things are going right now or, or this is actually what just happened in my life yesterday. No, each time he said, it is written. I mean, dude hadn't eaten in 40 days. I probably would have responded with, well, you know, I am hungry. 
But he did not respond with that. He responded with, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he's, and he's going back to what? Scriptures that he's memorized, scriptures that he's learned. But at the right time, the Spirit is giving to, giving him to them as a sword, and he cuts. And Satan, does, Satan says, oh, man, that hurt a little bit, but I think I can get through this. He says, and he comes with, with another temptation, and he gives him another one. Jesus pulls the sword, and it works again. He comes with another temptation. Jesus pulls the sword, and finally Satan says, I can't get this, dude. I'm bleeding everywhere. I got to get, get out. You know what I'm talking about? The word needs, you got to get the word in your heart so much that it starts to come out of your mouth. And when it does, it comes out of your mouth with boldness. You're not afraid to speak it. There are times at night I'll, I'll wake up, I'll have one of the big, the devil, if he can't get you in the day, he'll get you at night. Anybody ever had that? He'll try to get in my dreams, that booger. He'll get in my dreams and say some of the craziest things you ever heard of and get up. My, and I know it's him. I remember one time I had to get up in the middle of the night. I said, Andre, I got to go in here to the other room and do some business right quick. I went in there, son, and I got loud with him. I told him the truth because here's the thing. He planted some thoughts in my mind and that dream made me feel terrible, made me feel sick to my stomach. Now, what he wanted me to do was to wake up the next morning and go the rest of the day feeling that garbage, maybe even saying, you know what, I had a dream last night. You believe that was God? Some people come with that stuff. Let me tell you something. If it, if it brings you fear and worry and pain and distress, it wasn't God. He's a devil. Let's name it where he's at. Put him where he's at. And I told him everything that he put in that dream. I said, you said this in this dream, devil, but the word of God says this. And that's what I would say. And you may have told me that you were going to bring this against me and my family, but the word of God says this. I can't allow that thought to get lodged in my heart. I can't allow that fear to get lodged in my heart. So lastly, in the last verse, verse 18, come to the music, you all. It says in verse 18, right? Lastly, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, prayer, up to this point, we've had six, we've had six uh, weapons or, or pieces of armor, so to speak. But, you know, seven is the number of completion. And it doesn't say it. But if you look at pictures of Roman soldiers, what they always had was a big a thing called a pilum or a spear, right? They would have this, this spear, and they would take this spear, and from about 100 feet out, maybe from here to that wall, they would throw the spear up front. And these spears, if you look at them, they had like a big long tip on them, and, and they, they believed they would, they would penetrate the breastplate. But not only that, if they were to hit the shield... They were so big that when these people caught those shields, what would happen is it was so heavy now because it penetrated the shield, they'd have to drop their shield because the, the spear was so heavy. So then by the time that they, the, the enemy got up to hand-to-hand combat, they had their swords pulled, but their, the enemy's shields were down because the spirit hit it. And what I'm telling you is that prayer and intercession is how all of these things begin to come together. Because here's what happens, is that our prayer, our intercession, all kinds of prayer, I don't care what kind of prayer you're dealing with, if you're praying in the Spirit, it says praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, making requests to the Lord, interceding on behalf of others, interceding on behalf of the saints, asking God for things in your life. But when we come together and we, we begin to pray, what happens is, is we're throwing that spear out front. And we are lowering, we are hitting the defenses of the enemy so that whenever he comes in close, it's no contest. It's no battle. We've already won because that, that prayer that goes out begins to move in people's lives. Now, here's what I want to end with. 
is we got to have that in your life. But here's, here's the thing. You're, we're, we're, we are super well equipped to win because even in this list, this list does not even entail the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, these other things that are going on in your life, right? So we got even more weapons than this, but here's where I want to close. What do you feel like it's time to stand against in your life? Listening to this message, what do you know? It's time that you have to stand against, that you've just been allowing and embracing and saying, that's okay. What kind of weapons, what kind of armor do you need to pick up and begin to employ once again in your life? Amen. You stand to your feet. You don't begin to play just for a minute. of these people that are here this morning there's, there's things God that uh, that the enemy has brought against them lies that the enemy has brought against them and they've wounded them but I pray right now that your healing would be released God that you would heal those wounds and that you would let each person in here know that you're good that you're always good that you're never going to fail them and Lord, we face battles where sometimes we become the victims of war and we see loss and we see destruction. And that even makes us question you, God. But right now, we're going to take a firm stance. I want you to declare it out of your mouth and say, God, you're good. You're always good. And you've never not been good. Lord, that's the stance we take right now. We take that stance that you are good. You're always good. And no matter what we see happening, we're going to choose to keep the armor of God on in our lives. We're not going to lay down our shield, but we're going to take up the truth, Lord, the breastplate of righteousness. And Lord, we're going to have the shield of faith believing in your promises, God, because you want good for us. And we believe that when we stand in who we are in Christ and we enforce the victory of Jesus on the cross, that we begin to see your will done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. And so we speak that right now, Lord, that your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. And Satan, we speak to you and we declare to you that you were defeated on the cross of Calvary. By the blood of Jesus, you have been defeated. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony and because we love not our lives unto the death. So we stand this morning in the victory of Jesus and we choose to remain there. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your love. Right now, the Lord, I believe, He's just picking people up. He's, he's dusting some people off right now. He's saying, you know, I know you failed a little bit. I know you may have messed up, but let me dust you off. Let me put a robe of righteousness on you and declare once again that you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And I've chosen you to go forth in the anointing of the Holy Spirit with the gift of God upon your life. And no longer will fear or condemnation or doubt consume you because you're mine and you're chosen. So Lord, let all that fear just be washed away.
away right now. Let all that condemnation just be washed away right now, God. Let your goodness begin to overwhelm each person.